When I was 19 years old, I, um, I dedicated my life to Jesus. And when I did that, I immediately became an evangelist. I started telling all my friends uh, about God and how much better life was when you lived for Jesus. You know, I had spent most of my teen years rebelling and doing almost everything that I could to avoid pain, uh, the, the pain of my life. And when I finally realized that Jesus was the only way that I could be free from emotional pain, mental pain, and suffering, I was all in. And when I was all in, my heart burned to see lost people find Jesus. I remember every Sunday, I would go and pick up a friend and take them to church. Sometimes I had to wake them up. Church bus is here. Come on. Oh, I overslept. It's okay. I'll wait. You know, during the week, I would hang out with people who didn't know Jesus, and I would tell them about God's love. I would tell them that heaven and hell are absolutely real. You know, my, my favorite verse at that time was um, mobile giving. I had already started my televangelist ministry at that point <laughs> since the internet had not yet been invented. My life verse was Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And I preached the good news about Jesus. And I told people that uh, you don't have to be a slave to the devil anymore. I told people that they could have a better life following Christ. And many of my friends found salvation. It was such a blessing. I had several, um, during those early years, I had several Christian rock bands that I was in. And we would play anywhere people would let us. Uh, we played it for youth groups of like six kids. We would play it at the Plainfield Juvenile Correctional Facility. We would play anywhere. And I would give an altar call after at, at, at every concert we did. And um, every time I gave an altar call, someone would get saved or rededicate their life to Jesus. I mean, it was a work. I was so proud to be a part of. I was so grateful to God to use me like that. And deep in my spirit and my soul, I just had a burning thought that just kept me going after lost souls. I knew deep in my heart that if I didn't tell people about Jesus, that they would go to hell. And that hurt me that thought hurt me deeply. I knew that I, if I didn't tell people about Jesus, that they may never make it. And I knew that the work of salvation was not my own. 
I couldn't save anyone. But I understood that, that the Bible had taught me that I had a mandatory responsibility to bear witness of Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit would do the rest. I would be the mouthpiece and the Holy Spirit would do the work of salvation. You know, many of you here today, maybe live streaming with us, have family and friends who are lost. They don't have an actual relationship with Jesus. Some of them just plain don't care about the message of Jesus. Some thinking that some think that being nice and to others is good enough. Being kind, nice, is good enough to get them to heaven. But there is really only one way to know if the Holy Spirit has done a work that brought them to actual salvation. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about that the Holy Spirit comes for salvation. And if there's one thing I want you to remember today, it's that the world is going to hell without the work of the Holy Spirit through you. And I know it's not popular to even say hell or talk about it, but it's in the book. So I'm going to talk about it. Your unsaved family and friends need the Holy Spirit working through you so that they can make it to eternity in heaven. And as I talk today, I think now is a really good time to even ask yourself if the Holy Spirit has actually done a work of salvation in you. And I encourage you to listen to examine yourself and to see if you're in the faith, as Paul tells us to do. Test yourself. Now, just as by way of some quick review, if today's your first time here or maybe your first time listening online, um, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about His coming at Pentecost, and I felt like the Lord wanted us to specifically look at the words of Jesus and what He promised the Holy Spirit would do and why He came. And so last week, I shared about the Holy Spirit comes for kingdom instruction. Who remembers? You know, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would teach us, remind us, bear witness to us, and then we bear witness to others. And I shared that kingdom instruction is about reading and memorizing the Bible. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to remind us and apply the word to our lives. And then we, in turn, teach others who can teach others. And if we are to be in full submission to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we must cooperate with what He comes to do. And last week I asked where are you stuck? Are you stuck at level zero where you're not reading your Bible or worshiping? Are you stuck at one where you're reading and memorizing the Bible and worshiping daily? Are you stuck at two where you are allowing the Holy Spirit to teach and remind and apply the Word of God to your everyday life? Or are you at level three where you're teaching the Word of God 
Or are you at level four, teaching others to teach the word of God? And that was your homework last week, to figure out where you are stuck and then commit to working toward the next level of growth. And I made a list. You guys remember the list. I made a list of everything that Jesus said is in John 14, 15, 16, and then Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And we wanted to make a whole list of everything Jesus said. And again, reminding us, he said that he's another helper, just like Jesus. He would teach the disciples all things. He would bring to remembrance all that Jesus spoke to the disciples. He bears witness of Jesus. He convicts everyone of sin, everyone of righteousness, convicts everyone of judgment. He guides us in all truth. And he will speak and declare to us what he hears from the Father and the Son. And he will declare things to come. He will glorify Jesus. He will take what belongs to Christ and declare it to us. And he will give us power. Today, I want to focus on John 16, verses 7 through 11. And I want to talk about the Holy Spirit comes for salvation. And let's read this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now notice in verse 7, it says that it is to our advantage that Jesus goes away. What does that even mean? Well, first of all, Christ's presence on the earth was limited to one place at a time. His leaving meant that he could live through the Holy Spirit in every believer in the world. That's to our advantage. I mean, imagine if Jesus was still on the earth and the only way we could pray and he hear us would be to go where he was and try to talk to him. I mean, think about just trying to get a plane ticket to Jerusalem. And then when you get there, you got to take one of those numbers, you know, and it's like this long. You know, I mean... Now serving 703,642,592. I'm three. You finally get your number called. Yes, sir, come right in. You, uh, he's ready for you. You have three seconds to talk to him because we've got a long line. I mean, that would make our time at the DMV seem like a spa day. So it's to our advantage that Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes. And the advantage is is that we now have instant access to all of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And not only do we have instant access to all of God, but we have all of His help and leadership when it comes to everyday living. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, all of the work being done was connected to His physical presence. That's a disadvantage when the whole world needs to experience the work of Christ. 
With Jesus going back to the Father and sending us the Holy Spirit, now the Holy Spirit carries on the work of Jesus to a more intense level. You see, through the Spirit, the gospel can go with, uh, to the entire world. That is a huge advantage to the work of the gospel through us. I mean, again, think if Jesus were still on the earth. Every prayer of salvation to Jesus would need him present. Every healing would need his physical hand or at least his personal attention. That's not advancing the kingdom. That's a bottleneck of global proportions. Jesus leaving and returning to the Father in heaven and sending us the Holy Spirit, that is our advantage. You know, I was saved because someone had the Holy Spirit inside of them, convicting me of my sin. I've led people to Jesus because the Holy Spirit in me convicted them of sin. I've received healing and I have administered healing because Jesus was inside me through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, I didn't have to fly to Jerusalem to get saved. I didn't have to fly to Jerusalem to get healed. And it's because Jesus was inside someone else, the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our advantage. Now, let's look at verse 8. It says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, there's some very important words in this passage that I want us to look at a little closer. So that we can have a better understanding and comprehend its real deep meaning. All right. So if we listed those words out, those words out, it would be convict, world, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And this word convict means to expose, to reprove, convict, prove, and show to be guilty. World. Now, there's two times when you see the word world in the Bible, there's two kind of meanings. One is uh, referring to all people who are opposed to the gospel and opposed to Jesus, unsaved people, the world. And then there's the world, the whole thing, everybody on it. This one is every person on the planet. Sin, which is a standard determining what is out of conformity to justice, law, or morality as given by God. Righteousness, a standard determining what is in conformity to justice, law, or morality is given by God. And then judgment, which is a determination of right and wrong on legal matters. So if we were to take all of that meaning and put it right back into the verse, kind of expand it, it would read like this. And when he comes, he will convict, expose, reprove, convict, prove, and show to be guilty the world, every person on the planet, concerning sin, a standard determining what is out of conformity to justice, law, or morality as given by God, and righteousness, a standard determining what is in conformity to justice, law, or morality as given by God, 
and judgment, a determination of right and wrong on legal matters. Apart from the Holy Spirit, humans do not understand spiritual realities. So what Jesus is telling us is he's telling us that it is the Holy Spirit's ministry to bring to the whole world's consciousness three things. A correct perception of sin, a correct perception of righteousness, and a correct perception of judgment. Now Jesus goes on in verse 9 and 11 and he adds some clarification. Because he says in verse 9, he says, In regards to sin, because men do not believe in me. Verse 10, in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And then verse 11, in regard to judgment, because the prince of the world, this world now stands condemned. Jesus knows that our ignorance of, of sin and righteousness and judgment will ultimately bring us eternal hurt. So he sends us the Holy Spirit as a divine remedy to this problem. Now in verse 8, that word translated convict means also to cross-examine with the purpose of convicting or refuting an opponent. So the Holy Spirit does not simply convict the world, but he will also show that it is lacking in the knowledge of what sin and righteousness really are. Now, how does the Holy Spirit do this? Well, we need to look at verse 9. It says, He convicts the world in regard to sin because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit brings the guilt of sin home to the human consciousness so that men and women will seek relief through the mercy of God. I'm going to say that again. The Holy Spirit brings the guilt of sin home to us so that we as people will seek relief through the mercy of God. And we see this really clearly in Acts chapter 2 regarding the day of Pentecost. You know, the disciples had been gathered for many days and they were waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then once finally the Holy Spirit came and they're filled with the Spirit and they're speaking in other tongues and flames of fire and all this coolness is happening. It says that Peter stood up because there's this crowd outside that's gathering and they stands up with the eleven and he raises his voice and he addresses the crowd. So standing with the eleven, he lift up his voice and he addressed them. He said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And he goes through this this dialogue, this not dialogue, it was a, a, a sermon about who Jesus was. And even though they, all the people are accusing them of being drunk, Peter preaches a scorcher of a sermon. And, and we can read his concluding words here in verse 36. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, 
this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is an amazing response. But it wasn't because of Peter's eloquence. It wasn't his structure that he had great argument built. It had nothing to do with it. It was the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that produced that kind of reaction. I mean, if Peter had preached this the day before, I bet nobody had even believed him. But on Pentecost, full of the Holy Spirit, the listeners' hearts were pierced unto salvation. This was the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. You know, this happened in my life as well. I was, I was raised Catholic, went to four years of parochial school, was an altar boy. I did the whole shebang. I knew who God was. I knew who Jesus was. I knew that Jesus died on the cross. I, I knew God existed. And I thought I was, I was a Christian. But it wasn't until I had a friend confront me that my eyes were open. I had this friend. I was at Ball State at the t- my first year at Ball State, and I had a friend from high school who lived, still lived in Newcastle, was calling me long distance. In those days, you paid for long distance. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> and so we were having conversations, and, and she was doing all of the calling, you know, so she was getting large phone bills, and her parents wanted her to know, who is this long distance phone person? So she was telling her parents about me, and I was carefully listening for making sure she put all the right information and left out all the wrong. Um, And she was finished saying what she said, and I felt like she had left out something important. And I I said, you forgot to tell them something. She goes, what did I forget? You're a guitar player, you're at Ball State, you're playing guitar, you're studying guitar at college, what else? I said, well, you forgot to tell your parents I'm a Christian. And she goes, no, I didn't. (laughs) And I said, did you tell them? She said, no. I go, you forgot to tell them. She goes, no, I didn't. (laughs) I said, yes, you did. She said, no, I didn't. (laughs) And I said, I I believe in God and Jesus and all that. I I know who he is. And she looked at me and she said, Tom, you don't talk like a Christian. You don't act like a Christian. You don't live like one. You don't think like one. What part of you is Christian? And when she said those words, it was like the Holy Spirit hit me in the face with the baseball bat. When those words came out of her mouth, I immediately was convicted of my sin and judgment. 
Because when she said those words, I, the first thought that came into my mind was, I'm going to hell. And I knew it. I'm going to hell. And that was a work of the Holy Spirit. Because for weeks, for weeks, I was tormented with thoughts of my sin. And I was tormented with thoughts of judgment. The conviction of my sin got heavier and heavier. And I knew there was only one way for relief. I had to surrender my whole life to Jesus. I could no longer be just, you know, a little in, but mostly out. I could no longer do the things I was doing because the conviction of sin was so heavy on me. You know, it says in verse 8, it says, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. This describes exactly what happened to me. Does this describe what has happened to you? Now, if we look at verse 9, when it comes to the conviction of sin, it says that the Holy Spirit focuses primarily on the sin of not believing in Jesus. It says, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. For practically everyone in the world who do not believe that sin of not believing in Jesus is a sin. They do not see their unbelief in Christ as an actual sin. But we know that if that person comes under the Spirit's conviction, that becomes the primary focus. Only the Holy Spirit can bring this kind of conviction. See, our salvation starts with our conviction of our sin. And we must deal with our unbelief in Jesus and fully agree with what he calls sin. That's the first thing. We have to see our sin. If we never come to believe that we are a sinner in need of salvation, then we don't have salvation. Now, the second thing that we need to see is the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness that God has provided for us in Him. Because grasping the righteousness provided through Christ is the second work. It says in John 16, 10, it says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The world has a sliding scale view of righteousness. It's like degrees on a thermometer. For example, we, we usually judge people's righteousness based on how good we think they are. 
those who don't align with our standards of right or wrong, we judge as the most unrighteous, evil. You know, some people who we see having a little bit of good with them, maybe they're 20% righteous. Some could be 50% righteous, you know. And those who really align with our standards of right and wrong, they could be up to 80%. As a Christian, we tend to believe that only God has the most righteousness of all at 100%. However, the outcome of of this is that we end up believing that there is a degree of righteousness that will be acceptable to God. And if others or I can attain it, then we make it to heaven. And so the result of that thinking is we try harder. We strive to be good based on the current temperature of the cultural climate. But Jesus demonstrated and taught an entirely new standard of righteousness, as is crystal clear in the Sermon on the Mount that he preached. You know, if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you'll see that Jesus made repeated statements revealing how profound and how deep our inner righteousness has to be for us to make it to heaven. He did this to exasperate us, right? To frustrate all of our efforts at being good enough to get into heaven. Jesus said many times that it's not enough just to act right or, or you know, to be good outwardly so everyone sees how good you are. We also have to think right. Thanks, Jesus. Darn it. In other words, it's impossible to be righteous. It's impossible on our own. I mean, read the Beatitudes. They are extremely inspiring and discouraging at the same time. Jesus set the bar so high for attaining salvation that only he was able to live the le that level of perfection. So the only righteousness acceptable to the kingdom is perfection. In verse 10, it says, In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he was making this statement. He said, This is the man I accept, and all people unlike him I reject. The resurrection was historical evidence of the type of man that God accepts into heaven. So it is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us that our own righteousness does not even come close to Jesus. And once we are convicted we abandon the, the whole, I'm good enough, you know, I'm a nice person, I'll try harder and earn it. 
We abandon all of those ways to salvation. And when we abandon all hope of salvation through maybe my 20% or my 50% or even my 80% righteousness, we realize that the ground level at the foot of the cross is level. It's the same for everybody. Which means we should have the same prayer and attitude that Paul did in Philippians 3.9. He said, In being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I, he's like, I, I quit trying to be good enough. Amen. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on what? Faith. Only the Holy Spirit can bring this kind of awareness. So I'm asking you again, are you convicted of sin? Are you convicted of Christ's righteousness? If the Holy Spirit has convicted us first of sin, second of righteousness, then we move into being convicted about judgment. And that's in verse 11. It says, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. One of the amazing works of the Holy Spirit is to convince the world that there is such a thing as judgment. The judgment of Satan and the breaking of his power at the cross is completely proof of that. See, while Jesus was on the cross, Satan threw everything he had at him. But after dying for our sins, Jesus did what? Rose from the dead. It says in Ephesians 4a, he says, Therefore, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Jesus led a victory parade. Yeah. It even says in Genesis 3.15 about Jesus, it says that he will crush your head, speaking of, the, of Satan, and you will strike his heel. Yeah. See, Jesus at the cross had crushed the head of Satan and has judged him. Yes. Yes, yes. yes woo. Woo-hoo. Now, here's what that means. That also means that the world system is judged. And all who live by it and reject Jesus are also judged. It tells us clearly in Revelation 20. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. 
This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Back to when I was 19 and I was faced with the reality of my own sin. I was also wrecked and convicted with thoughts of hell. I remember laying in my bed at college. And all of a sudden, I would just see myself burning in hell. It was intense. The Holy Spirit was convicting me of judgment. And I was becoming very, very aware that without Christ, any of us, sinners alike, without Christ, I would suffer an eternity in torment. That was the conviction of sin. That was the conviction of Christ's righteousness. That was conviction of judgment that radically turned me follow Jesus with everything I had. I think this is why we have so many false starts with people who get saved. This is why it's so easy sometimes to walk away from the faith. I'm not convicted of sin. I'm not convicted of Christ's righteousness and I'm not convicted of judgment. But this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is His work, not ours. There's nothing you and I can do to bring this kind of conviction. But amazingly, while it is the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction... He accomplishes that through working through us. It says in John 16, again, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. I shared last week that the Holy Spirit bears witness through who? us you see the holy spirit comes to the world through us now he is sovereign god and he can do anything he wants but his normal method of bringing conviction to the world is through us your unsaved friends and family need you and I to walk in obedience with what the Holy Spirit comes to do. I mean, what a breathtaking idea that God would use us to do this great work. I wonder if this was in the back of Paul's mind when he wrote this letter to Corinthians 3. Verse 2, he says, You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, 
delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. When the Holy Spirit comes, He comes for salvation. He brings conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness, and conviction of judgment. Is that how you attain salvation? If not, today can be that day. And if you are saved and you do have salvation, are you obeying the work of the Holy Spirit in bearing witness which will bring conviction of these things to others. Are you doing that? You know, Romans 10, verse 14, says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. I want to give you some things to do this week, and then I want to pray for us. action plan for this week I want you to ask yourself these questions when was the last time you prayed specifically for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to fall on yourself our church your family and friends you know this is a prayer that hardly gets prayed anymore and yet conviction is the single most important work of the Holy Spirit in the life of unbelievers. We, as Christians, we suffer hard-heartedness and cold-heartedness because conviction does not touch our lives as it should. The next thing I want you to do is I want you to talk with your children, your spouse, your friends, your family, they have the conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. Is that really how they got saved? Are they convinced of those things? Next, I want us to start praying daily for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to fall on our families, on our churches, on this nation. Ask the Holy Spirit whom you should share your faith with so that He can bring conviction that leads to their salvation. We owe it to our unsaved friends and family to tell them about Jesus. They won't make it on their own goodness. Oh, I love them. They're a good person. They're nice. I don't care. 
That's not the promise. They're not good enough. I'm not good enough. They won't make it on their own goodness, their own niceness, their own righteousness. So ask yourself, who needs to hear these words? And here's the bottom line again. The world is going to hell without the work of the Holy Spirit through you. You have the good news. You are to bear witness of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in you has the power to convict them and bring them to salvation. So I want to pray for us this morning. And I just, let's just be with the Lord for just a second. I want you to look into your own heart right now. I want you to have a moment with Him. And ask yourself, do I have the conviction of sin in my life? Do I have the conviction of righteousness? Am I convinced of judgment? Sometimes when we were born and raised in the church, these things sometimes elude us. Because you were just always going to church. You were always believing. You were always a Christian. But you have to have a personal encounter with these three things. And so... Just as you got your eyes closed and you're going to the Holy Spirit, just ask Him those. If, do, I, do I have these things? Maybe you've lost some of these things and that's why you're, you're half in or half out. You're You've lost your passion, your heart's got cold or hard. Maybe you've never experienced any of those, but you feel it today. And so I'm going to ask you this question. If you're here today, and you're saying, for the first time I felt conviction of my sin, of the righteousness of Jesus, and, the, and judgment, and I want to be saved. If you're here today, and that's you, I just need you to just raise your hand up as high as I can see it. So I want to pray for us. For those of you who are feeling this conviction and just add your agreement with me. Father, we, we hear the words of Jesus about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he has come to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. 
And Father, I'm asking for that to come in greater measure in my life. Lord, I'm asking that you would bless us, Lord, with this conviction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would be a people who are close to Him. Father, today I am praying for the spirit of conviction to come upon us, Lord, so that when we share the words like Peter did on that day of Pentecost, that they have weight and that people respond. They are cut to the heart, God. I'm asking for that, God, to be upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, and move through us. Do the work of conviction. As we share with our friends and family who are unsaved about the reality of Jesus, the reality of heaven and hell, the reality that there is a way, that there would be a weight to our words, a heaviness, God. That we would wake up from our own slumber, God, become a people who who share the message of Christ. So I'm asking God to forgive me, forgive us for not having conviction, God, for hardening our hearts against it. All of those sweet times you tried to bring correction and say, that's sin. And we said, I don't care. Forgive us. Every time you came to say that was sin, don't do that, don't say that, don't think that. And we said, I don't care, forgive us, God. I don't want a seared conscience, God. I want a heart that is soft, sensitive to you, God. So I pray today, Father, that the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit come And burn in our hearts again, God. Revive us, God. Renew us, God. I'm asking, Father, for mercy. We would not harden our hearts against the the still, small voice of our beautiful Holy Spirit. Pray for that today, God. Pray for that, Father. And as we wrap up, if you, uh, if you're near your dad, if you're near your husband, I want you to just put hands on him. Because we're going to bless dads today. I just feel from the Lord. And he was, he was doing this in me all week, and I'm just going to say it. I could feel God's pleasure of the dads in this room. I hear the Lord. He just said, I see your sacrifice. I see how you put dreams away. I see how you serve how hard you work.
And I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you. Don't give up hope. Don't give up your dreams. For there is a reward for you, says the Lord. But I hear the Lord say, sons who are fathers, I need you to come and sit in my lap. I need you to be in my arms. I need my boys. I need my boys to come home, sit with me, talk with me. I'm so proud of you. I just want to tell you I love you. I just want to say I love you. You're not a disappointment. I'm not embarrassed by you. just want to say I love you so come into my arms says the father so God I bless the dads in this room I bless them father to be men of courage to keep saying yes every day to following you and leading their families to you God I'm praying for courage and strength and hope as they go out and they die for our families. And I just ask for a blessing to be upon them, God. Father, you love us. Help us to walk in your love. Abide in your love, Father. And I bless these beautiful men in this house. Warriors for you. Wild at heart. Men who are passionate for life and their wives and their kids. Restore those things, God. bless these men in Jesus name we bless these men we are a better family with these men we are stronger with these men we are complete we need these men thank you father for your love today We bless you, Dad. Abba, God in heaven, we bless you. And we love you. Thank you for this day, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.